Good morning and welcome. I appreciate your prayers. Um, I think I have, this is one Sunday, Daniel and I have about the same level of vocal quality. So I appreciate your prayers this morning that I might be able to have uh, physical strength to get through this time. Um, the greater challenge for us always, though, is to receive the word, to honor it and obey it. So we want to take just a moment and, and pray about that together. If you would bow with me, we'll open the word then. Father, be kind to us and press through our hard hearts with your good and hopeful word, your, your great promises that are for us. Strengthen our faith that we might believe such that we can do that which you, you are asking of us now by your spirit. So uh, may your word have its full effect on each and every one of us, and we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, just one minor point before we get started. Uh, if, if you come in to the, to the 915 service and have trouble finding seats, there are a lot more seats at the 9 o'clock service. <laughs> and that will be much easier. Much easier. We're actually thinking about shutting down the 915. You might want to plan on coming to the 9. It's just... Just saying. So what, what comes to your mind if I, if I use the words coveted invitation? Coveted invitation. You might think White House, Governor's Mansion downtown. You might think Super Bowl. You might think Ikea grand opening. Um, <laughs> Well, today I have one. I have a coveted invitation. I'll put the text on the screen. It just says, you're invited to a life blessed by God. You are invited to a life blessed by God. And that, that is exactly where we find ourselves today in our study of Matthew as we open up to chapter 5, what are called the Beatitudes, the blessings. They are invitations to a life blessed by God. And uh, real small letters, it says, please RSVP by today. So how are you going to respond today to an invitation to a life blessed by God? You know, we studied the book of Deuteronomy last year and you remember back in chapter 28, the people are taken between two mountains, and half the people are on one mountain, half are on the other, and one is a mountain of blessing, and one is a mountain of cursing, and it's as though Moses is saying to the people, choose, choose the life you want to live. If you were to look at, at the Sermon on the Mount, which is what we'll be looking at today in Luke's account of it, over in chapter 6, he does the contrast between a life of blessing and a life of woe. A life of great sorrow. And so when you start thinking about it, it's really pretty much a no-brainer. Okay? If those are your choices, who in their right mind is going to say no to a life blessed by God? Um, but for some reason, that choice is a whole lot harder than it seems. Um, because in our minds, the things we think will bless us oftentimes are the very things that bring us woe. Scott Weining says that in New York City, 
there are 8 million cats and 11 million dogs. He says New York City is basically just concrete and steel, so when you have a pet um, in New York City and it dies, you just can't go out in the backyard and bury it. The city authorities decided that for 50 bucks, they would dispose of your deceased pet for you. And one lady, she was enterprising. She thought, I can render a service to the people in the city and save them money. So she placed an ad in the newspaper that said, when your pet dies, I will come and take care of the carcass for you for $25. And this lady would go to the local Salvation Army and she would buy an old suitcase for $2. And then when someone would call about his or her pet, she would go to the house and put the deceased pet in the suitcase. And then she would take a ride on the subway where there are thieves. (laughs) And she would sit the suitcase down and she would act like she wasn't watching. And a thief would come and steal her suitcase. And she'd look up and say, Wait, stop, thief. (laughs) He says, uh, my guess is that people who stole those suitcases got a real surprise when they got home. And then he says very insightfully, he says, a lot of us are like those New York thieves. We're chasing after happiness, and we grab what we think will give us happiness. However, when we get it, it doesn't quite deliver. And so today... This is not just hypothetical in a very real sense. Jesus, through the opening verses of the Sermon on the Mount, is inviting you to put down the suitcase and trust him to lead you to a life that will be blessed, blessed by God. So, in Matthew 5 today, if you want to open your Bibles there, we are entering, as I said, what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Some, some have called it Jesus' magnum opus, his great work. Um, and I think just in the few verses we'll talk about today, you'll, you'll get a sense for why that's said. But Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount about the kingdom, about what, will, what life will be like one day when that kingdom comes fully, and what life must be like now for those of us who worship King Jesus and follow him. And it starts with this amazing invitation to a life blessed by God. I'll just read it to you. It says, seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. When he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. These are what are commonly called the Beatitudes. It just means the blessings. Um, 
It's, it's the shape of a life that God loves to bless. These are not what we would expect. It's, it's upside down from the world we live in. We'd expect something more like these lines that um, Brian Wilkerson writes in a contemporary adaptation of the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are the rich and famous because they can always get a seat at the local restaurants. Blessed are the good looking for they shall be on the cover of People magazine. Blessed are those who party for they know how to have fun. Blessed are those who take first place in the division, for they shall have momentum going into the playoffs. Blessed are the movers and shakers, for they shall make a name for themselves. Blessed are those who demand their rights, for they shall not be overlooked. Blessed are the healthy and fit, because they don't mind being seen in a bathing suit. Blessed are those who make it to the top, because they get to look down on everyone else. And that, that fits our world. I mean, that's, how the, that's the script the world would write for a blessed life, is, is that kind of thing. And Jesus, he turns it on its head. G.K. Chesterton said that on the first reading of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, you feel that it turns everything upside down. But the second time you read it, you discover that it turns everything right side up. The first time you read it, you feel that it's impossible. But the second time that you read it, you feel that nothing else is possible. So today, we're going to take a real broad brush approach to these promises of blessing. <clears throat> there are eight, some say nine of them. A lot of pastors will take eight weeks to go through these. We're going to do it all today. And uh, I promise to have you out in time for the game tonight. Um, the, uh, we're going to go through the, the entire Sermon on the Mount is chapter 5, 6, and 7. We'll go through that entire Sermon on the Mount in four weeks. Now, the reason for that is we took 17 weeks to go through it just a handful of years ago. And so we're going to move through it rather quickly this time so as not to redouble our efforts. Um, but all those messages, I think there are about 17 of them, they're all posted on our website on the sermon page. And if you want to think more extensively about the Sermon on the Mount, I would encourage you to. You can listen in on those messages um, taught by some really gifted teachers, um, Nathan Knight and uh, up in D.C., and uh, the guys down in Tampa, Jeff Doyle, they're all involved in teaching that series. So I hope you'll maybe give it a listen as it, it'll go a little slower through these important teachings of Jesus. But today, what I want to do is I want to wrap these um, eight or nine Beatitudes into three choices that, are faced, that face us if we really want to live a life that God is glad, God is glad to bless. And the first of those three choices is wrapped up in the first four blessings that Jesus gives, starting in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Before we talk about the shape of those blessings, don't miss the obvious here. Our God is a God who loves to bless his people. I mean, nine times Jesus says it. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. God loves to bless his people. And it's not like that, you've heard that kind of southern expression, bless his heart, you know. 
his elevator doesn't always go all to the top, bless his heart. You know, that's not, that's not the language that's being used here. This is the language really at the core, I think, of, of God's favor on your life. Where he is pleased with you and he, he lavishly pours that pleasure out on you. It's hard to imagine anything better than that, isn't it? The pleasure of God being lavished on your life. It's a place where you are happy. You know, some of the Bibles actually translate the word blessed, happy. It's a place where you're content. It's the place you long for. It's the place you were made for. It's just what you need, the blessing of God. And the shape these blessings take, as we're going to see, is what life following King Jesus looks like. This place of blessedness is a place where you are poor, but you're going to inherit a kingdom. Where you mourn, but you're going to find comfort. Where you are meek and all the earth will be yours. Where you hunger and thirst deep in your soul and are satisfied. It's a place where you'll see God and be called his sons and daughters. Where your reward will far outweigh any suffering. To be blessed is to be made content and satisfied in the pleasure of none other than King Jesus. And that's what God is eager to lavish on us. Um, These days, the closer we walk to King Jesus, the more we experience these blessings. One day, we'll experience him fully when he returns. But now, the closer we walk with him, the more our life conforms to this blessed life that's being described here, the more that we will experience the blessings. Um, So he starts with this expression, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, if I, if I wrap these first four Beatitudes together into a choice that's going to face every one of us if we want to live the blessed life, I would say that choice um, is this, will you take the low place? That's the first choice I think we have to wrestle with if we want to live a life that God will bless. Will you take the low place? Um, and that, that language comes out of Jesus' parable in Luke 18. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Being poor in spirit raises the question, will you take the low place? Will you humble yourself? Poverty of spirit is is like being a beggar before God where you bring nothing to the relationship except the need for mercy. To be poor in in spirit in a word is to be humble on steroids before God. 
It is to be desperately in need of God. It's to admit that you are a terrific sinner. Uh, when that movie Mel Gibson made came out, The Passion of the Christ, maybe, maybe you heard this story. There was a guy named Dan Leach. He made national headlines because after seeing the movie, he confessed to the murder of his girlfriend. I don't know if you remember that story. Um, her death had been called a suicide, but Leach admitted to strangling her because she claimed to be pregnant with his child, not wanting the responsibility. He killed her and successfully avoided suspicion until turning himself in three months later after viewing that movie, The Passion of the Christ. But there was another surprise. Um, a little bit later, Leach stunned everyone but his attorney by pleading not guilty. And the article says, when we confess and maintain our fight for innocence, we really haven't confessed at all. So do you see how poor you are before God? Will you own up to it without a plea or an excuse? Um, you know, the language that's used here, poor, is, is the poorest of the poor. People who are desperately poor. Not knowing where their next meal is coming from, poor. The homeless, poor. The destitute and outcast, poor. In a word, poor without any resources of any kind. To be poor in spirit is to recognize that we are that kind of poor spiritually. If we're left to our own devices, we don't have a dime to our name. We are poor in spirit. And when we do, then Jesus says we are in a place that God loves to bless promises to bless that place is when we are poor in spirit and this is the first of the beatitudes it's the first thing jesus says in the sermon on the mount and so much of the sermon on the mount points back to this dale bruner says that um, when we read later in the sermon on the mount whoever is angry with his brother or sister is going to hell or whoever looks at a woman in order to lust after her has committed adultery in his heart we will or should feel very poor in spirit when we read those expressions. Every command, he says, in the Sermon on the Mount, taken seriously, drives believing readers back into the valley of the first beatitude. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So, in effect, Jesus says, happy are the sad. Um, we, mourn for, we mourn for lots of reasons. Um, it always centers around loss, the loss of something or someone dear to us or a lost opportunity perhaps. We often mourn our losses. Um, but on good days, we mourn the loss of others as well. We care about others. We hear of the loss of another and we grieve with them. This is one of the things that marks the church. If one suffers, we all suffer. We mourn the injustices of our world. You know, you read about those young girls in their early teens in the Swat Valley in Pakistan, and they want to go to school, and they're being shot because they're going to school and advocating literacy for their classmates. We mourn over those kind of things. There's something horribly wrong with our world. 
And while all of this is caught up in Jesus' mention of those who mourn, there's another source of mourning that probably is right at the center of what, what he means when he says, blessed are those who mourn. It's to mourn not just for how sin affects us or how sin affects others, but it's to mourn for how sin affects God. It's to have deep regret and sorrow for the way my sin affects my God. It's too rare a thought to think of how our suffering affects God, or our sin affects God, rather. Blessed, Jesus says, are those who mourn in such a fashion, for they shall be comforted. The next blessing is on the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, Excuse me. Let's do, the, let's do the meek, I think, are the next one that we need to get to. Yeah, let's do the meek. Bless are those who are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. Um, you got to answer the question, what, what does it mean to be meek? And the obvious answer is that it means to be weak. Um, that's what... A long time ago, the leader, former leader of the former Soviet Union, Nikita Khrushchev, when he came to the United States during the Cold War, was reported to have said while on a visit, he says, I'll tell you the difference between Christians and me. It's this. If you slap me on the face, I'll hit you back so hard your head will fall off. That's Khrushchev. To be meek is not really about being weak as much as it is being gentle or humble. Um, It finds its best portraits in Moses. He was the most meek man ever to walk the earth at that time. Um, Jesus himself modeled meekness to us. Someone who suffers indignities without complaint. Someone who's not self-assertive. The meek put others' interests above their own. Meekness prefers others. Perhaps it's best portrayed for me by a a guy, uh, a student named Sam who showed up at Taylor University up in Indiana. It's Christian college there. And Sam was from Africa, and they found out he was going to be able to enroll in their school. It's kind of rare. And so um, he was a bright young man, says with great, great promise, and they felt honored to have him. And when he arrived on campus, the president of the university took him around to give him a tour of the campus. And the president um, asked uh, Sam, after they'd gone through the dorms, um, which room would you like to have, Sam? And the young man said, if there's a room that no one wants, give that room to me. And the president turned away in tears. Over the years, he had welcomed thousands of Christian men and women to the campus, and none had ever made such a statement. If there's a room that no one wants, give me that room. If there's a job that no one wants, I'll do that job. If there's a kid no one wants to eat lunch with, I'll eat with that kid. If there's a piece of toast that's burnt, I'll take that piece. If there's a parking space that's far away from the church, I'll park in that space. If there's a service time that's less convenient for people, I'll worship at that service. If there's a hardship someone has to endure, I'll take that hardship. If there's a sacrifice someone needs to make, 
I'll make that sacrifice. When we're in that place, Jesus says, that place of meekness, we're in a place where God's favor is upon us. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And we all know what hunger and thirst is like, but yet we do everything we can to never, ever hunger or thirst. We're hardly ever hungry. Um, and so the imagery here, uh, when he talks about hungering and thirsting, it's not the, I'm walking through the wall, mall, I want a Cinnabon kind of hunger. Okay. This is not, oh, I want a soda kind of thirst. This is, I have to have this to live kind of hunger and thirst. It's been said that the greatest motivation in the world is hunger, and Jesus says we are to have that level of motivation for righteousness. And righteousness is another one of those huge terms that encompasses so much, but right at the heart of it is the insatiable longing to be right with God, to walk rightly before God. Like a hungry man craves food or a thirsty man longs for water, Jesus says, Long for God like that, and you'll be blessed by him. Um, a deep longing to know God, to be near him, to please him, to do what's right before him. Um, it's a deep hunger and thirst for, for things to be right in this world, for this broken world to be made right, for children to be fed and clothed and safe, for families to stay together for rivers to run clean and clear and malaria and AIDS to be banished, for matters of race to never lead to hate. Jesus says, thirst and hunger for these kinds of things to be made right, you'll be blessed by God. And if you do, that blessing is that you'll be satisfied one day because there is a day coming when all these sorrows and sadnesses and injustices are going to be made right and the sufferings will end. Revelation describes it in a lot of neat ways. Um, here's one in chapter 7. It says, They are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple and He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. God's going to shelter the people of heaven with His very presence and they'll hunger no more, neither thirst anymore, the sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. There is coming a day when the poor will inherit a kingdom, when those inconsolably sad will be fully comforted, and the meek will rule the earth. Blessing is coming. And the first choice we make is, will I take the low place, the place God loves to bless? Jesus describes it in Luke 14, tells a story, um, and he says, um, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give up your place to this person, and then you'll begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. And then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. 
the first choice that the Beatitudes press upon us is, will you take the low place? Will you take the lowest place and humble yourself before God? Now, the next series of blessings uh, press us with a second choice. It's the next three. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We start out with the merciful, and I'd just like maybe for you to hear a story of what mercy might look like. Um, there's an author that I enjoy reading. His name is Henry Nouwen. And Henry was a priest who used to teach at Harvard University. And at the height of his career, he made a move from Harvard to a community called Daybreak near Toronto to become a caregiver for a young man named Adam. So he's going from Harvard to become a caregiver for Adam. Adam is a 25-year-old man who cannot speak, cannot dress or undress himself, cannot walk alone. He cannot eat without much help. He does not cry or laugh. Only occasionally does he make eye contact. His back is distorted. His arm and leg movements are twisted. He suffers from severe epilepsy and despite heavy medication, sees few days without grand mal seizures. Sometimes as he grows suddenly rigid, he utters a howling groan. Nowen writes, it takes me about an hour and a half to wake Adam up. Give him his medication, carry him into his bath, wash him, shave him, clean his teeth, dress him, walk him to the kitchen, and give him his breakfast. Put him in his wheelchair and bring him to the place where he spends most of the days with therapeutic exercises. Now, the author, Philip Yancey, visited Toronto and got to visit Henry Nouwen after he had gone from Harvard to this daybreak community and was caring for Adam. And Yancey says, I watched him perform that routine with Adam. And I must admit, I had a fleeting doubt as to whether this is the best use of his time. He says, I have heard Henry Nouwen speak. I have read many of his books. He has much to offer. Could not someone else take over the manual chores? And when I cautiously broached the subject with Nouwen himself, he informed me that I had completely misinterpreted him. He says, I am not giving up anything, he insisted. It is I, not Adam, who gets the main benefit from our friendship. And all day, Yancey writes, uh, Nowen kept circling back to my question, bringing up various ways he had benefited from his relationship with Adam. It had been difficult for him at first, he said. Physical touch, affection, and the messiness of caring for an uncoordinated person did not come easily. But he had learned to love Adam, truly to love him. And in the process, he had learned what it must be like for God to love us. Spiritually uncoordinated, retarded able to respond with what must seem to God like inarticulate grunts and groans. Indeed, working with Adam had taught him the humility and emptiness achieved by desert monks only after much discipline. Nowen has said that all his life, two voices competed inside him. One encouraged him to succeed and achieve, while the other called him simply to rest in the comfort that he was the beloved of God. Only in the last decade of his life did he truly listen to that second voice, he says. Those who are merciful towards those in need, they will be blessed by God. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall find mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. And it, 
it becomes clear with that little phrase that Jesus is after our hearts, not just our behavior. What does it mean to be pure in heart? Well, obviously it means to be without any kind of impurities. And, and this room is full of people who can tell you that if you drink the sewage of porn or the stagnant waters of unfaithfulness or the toxic waste of anger or if you eat the cotton candy of greed, it affects your relationship with God immediately, devastatingly. What little we can now see of God, the privilege we have of seeing the little we see, is robbed from us as soon as we embrace sin. We can say with Isaiah chapter 59 that our iniquities have made a separation between us and our God. Embrace sin and the price you pay is knowing God every time. To have a pure heart towards God is not only, not only to love God, but it is inseparably to love neighbor. It means, according to 1 Thessalonians 4, this is the will of God. That you abstain from sexual immorality, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Okay. To have a pure heart is to have a pure heart towards your neighbor. Um, a heart of only love towards your neighbor. Is your heart pure towards God and neighbor? God loves to bless the pure in heart. Um, blessed are the pure in heart, for they they shall see God. Last one in this series, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Sons of God. It's not so much, I think, uh, being family here as it is family likeness, kind of like father, like son kind of thing is the idea. Because we are, we are most like God when we are peacemakers because God is a, a God of peace, the scriptures say. He makes peace with his enemies. He makes peace with rebels just like us. And when we are peacemakers, we are most like him. When we offer peace with God to a friend, a friend that you're going to watch a Super Bowl with later today, if you offer peace with God to him and he bites on it, you are a peacemaker between him and God. When we share with our rebel neighbors and co-workers that Jesus has made it possible for them to lay down their arms and be at peace with God, we are most like him, joining him in his mission. But we're also like him when we must make peace amongst people. Um, it's something God loves and something that he loves to bless. Our reputation as Christians should be that we are peacemakers. And so that... This understanding is why I mentioned this earlier a couple weeks ago. I find myself sitting in my living room with a dozen cheerleading moms sitting around the living room. Them, Jake Mason, and one other dad trying to broker peace with this group of moms who cannot get along because the school have said, if you guys don't work this out, we're not letting the, the girls go compete at nationals. They've qualified to go to South Carolina and compete at nationals. And they're going to scrap the whole thing because the moms can't get along and the dads, two of them, came to blows at their last competition. So my wife nominated me to be the referee <laughs> for a dozen cheerleading moms. 
And um, I did it for two, for two reasons. My wife told me to. <laughs> and we're to be peacemakers. If you want to be blessed by God, do what your wife tells you. That's, that's <laughs> not, another beatitude in there somewhere, I'm sure. But let your reputation be some, a person of peace who helps, you know, Cousins who haven't talked to, talked to other cousins for years, be at peace. Who, who steps into a struggling marriage and helps husbands and wives work it out. Helps neighbors mend fences. But especially helps wayward, wayward sons and daughters be reconciled to God. That ought to be our reputation, our role peacemakers amongst each other and with God. And honestly, if some of you want to be blessed by God, you've got some reconciling work to do this week. You've let relationships be broken way too long. And Jesus is inviting you, if you want the favor of God and the pleasure of God in your life, then you should reconcile. You should take the initiative to reconcile. Because blessed are the peacemakers. And so this second cluster of um, blessings, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, poses a second choice, and I'll, I'll use this language for this choice. Will you be a celebrity or a servant? Will you be a celebrity or a star or a servant? The, the language comes from Philip Yancey, he wrote a book called The Jesus I Never Knew. It's a marvelous book. If you want to read a book on Jesus this year, that would be a delightful read. Um, and in it, he says, My career as a journalist has afforded me opportunities to interview stars, including NFL football greats, movie actors, music performers, best-selling authors, politicians, and TV personalities. These are the people who dominate the media, he says. We fawn over them, pouring over the minutiae of their lives, the clothes they wear, the food they eat, the aerobic routines they follow, the people they love, the toothpaste they use. He says, yet I must tell you that in my limited experience, I have found that our idols are as miserable a group of people as I have ever met. He says, most have troubled or broken marriages. Nearly all are incurably dependent on psychotherapy. And he says, I've also spent time with people I call servants, doctors and nurses who work among uh, the ultimate outcasts, the leprosy patients in rural India. I've spent time, he says, with a Princeton graduate who runs a hotel for the homeless in Chicago, with relief workers in Somalia, Sudan, Ethiopia, Bangladesh, and other repositories of human suffering. He said, I was prepared to honor and admire these servants, to hold them up as inspiring examples, but I was not prepared to envy them. He says, yet as I now reflect on the two groups side by side, the stars and the servants, the servants clearly emerge as the favored ones, the graced ones. Without question, I would rather spend time among the servants than the stars. They possess qualities of depth and richness and even joy that I have not found elsewhere. Servants work for low pay, long hours, and no applause, wasting their talents and skills among the poor and uneducated. But somehow, he says, in the process of losing their lives, they have found them because they're blessed by God. 
We're not stars or celebrities. Um, none of us are. I, I don't know. There are not many celebrities that live out in Franklin County where I live. Um, but I think all of us have this inner celebrity that wishes we could be treated like one, that the lights would be brighter on us, that people would roll out the red carpet for us, that people would treat us special. A celebrity wants the light and cameras and perks to be on me and for me. So this little cluster of Beatitudes asks us a question. Will you be a star? Will you be a celebrity? Or will you be a servant? With your time, with your money, with your home, with that extra car, will you seek to be a celebrity or a servant? Because God blesses the servant who shows mercy, who is pure in heart, and who makes peace. Last choice. There's a third one. It's in the remaining verses. I'll go through it real quickly. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. And so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The choice that, that these verses press on it is very simple. Are you willing to suffer for a blessed life? Are you willing to suffer in order to live a life blessed by God? I ran across an article last week, I think, and I sent it on to the elders, and I told them, I said, this is on my bucket list. I want to do this. And uh, um, it's an article about the great suffering and persecution of Christians in North Korea. It's one of the worst places, maybe the worst place to be a Christian on earth in terms of persecution. And um, on my bucket list, I don't really have one, but if I did, this would be on there. I want to walk the streets of North Korea and pray for those people. But, you know, the real, the real question is not whether I would like to go pray for them. The real question is, will I emulate them here? Will I, with the, the tiny speck of suffering that comes our way here, but Jesus alludes to it in that language. It's the language of speech. We, would I be willing to be reviled? Would I be willing to have people utter all kinds of evil against me falsely? At that kind of entry-level persecution, would I be willing to do that? Will you be the outcast who is spoken ill of in the halls at school or in the locker room or in the teacher's lounge or at the water cooler because of your faithfulness to Christ? Will you suffer for this life? And these are the choices that the Beatitudes bring to us. Will you take the low place? Will you be a celebrity or a servant? Are you willing to suffer for this blessed life? On that little invitation I put up there, kind of jokingly, I put down RSVP by February the 3rd, 2013. Today, Jesus is inviting you to live a blessed life. How will you respond? How will you respond?
Let's pray. Father, we would all be fools to pass on what has just been offered to us. And yet our hearts are conflicted and we have doubts about the promises and we have doubts about giving up, what we're going to have to give up. And um, we could easily be fools if left to our own devices. God, help us, help us not be fools and say yes um, to this offer of a life blessed by God. May we be humble, humble before you because of our sin. May we be humble in service to others. May we be so humble that we'd even be willing to suffer for it. We ask this in Christ's great name.